Hey guys, happy first week of December. David, what time is it? Oh, it's the Friday weekly roll-up time, Ryan, where we roll up the entire week in crypto, which is always an ambitious endeavor, yet we do it anyways because we have a ton of fun doing it, and I hope you do as well. So grab your morning coffee because we are about to roll up the week. It is fun. Look, crypto is never boring, guys. So uh, you, you know this. How was your Thanksgiving, by the way? Was, was that uh, was, was that fun? Did you get any crypto conversations in? Oh, it's inevitably. Just like I said with <laughs> at the uh, the last part of last week's episode is like everyone talks about crypto uh, because that's like one person in the room is the known crypto person, and no one knows what crypto is, so they always got to ask about crypto. So yes, that did indeed happen. Uh, guys, we are going to get into the main events of the week. First of all, Budweiser, beer company, buys beer.eth, and now they're prominently displaying it on their Twitter page. It's an NFT. More to come, maybe. Jack Dorsey just stepped down from Twitter, David. What does this mean for crypto? We're going to dig into that. Also, all eyes on the ETH-Bitcoin ratio. Ratio talk. Give me hot and flustered. I know you're excited about that one. All right. That's why we'll get to it first. And also the Ethereum roadmap refresh. Of course, there's a ton of other things we're going to cover in the weekly roll up. You do not want to miss it. Try to jam pack this into the next hour or so. 90 minutes. 90 minutes. We'll see if we can do 90 minutes. No promises on the hour. Uh, But before we do, got to mention a permissionless conference. So you know, this conference is coming in May. This is happening in Florida. So if you're in the cold weather climate, you want to get down to Florida, you're thinking of it. This is going to be the crypto conference of the year, at least the DeFi conference of the year. We're going to be there. Our friends at Blockworks are putting this on. We let you know now because new tickets just went on sale, new tranche. Every two weeks, new tranche goes on sale. Price gets uh, more every, it goes up every week. It's up only. So if you want a bankless discount on that, you can become a premium subscriber and go get your permissionless tickets. We will see you there in the new year. I think, David, you got probably like four or five conferences in between like like now and that one. But, you know, that's going to be a a highlight of next year for sure. At some point, the yearly subscription to Bankless is actually going to pay for itself because of the 30% off that it gets you off this (laughs) ticket. So We might be close, dude. Yeah, right. Uh, So uh, like Ryan said, uh, you can sign up for Bankless, get a 30% off discount. uh, But the sooner you get that ticket, the cheaper it's going to be because like no one wants to be paying to have the, the, you know, April of 20. 22 FOMO where the tickets are over a thousand dollars a piece. Yeah, uh, get, get them now, but before we went, while they're like 400 something. In crypto, you never want to delay things, right? You just uh, just ape in, guys. Ape into that conference. Also, we want to mention our friends at MetaMask. They are sponsoring this message. I use MetaMask all the time, David. I know you are a power user of MetaMask. The most the safest way to use MetaMask is with a hardware wallet. So a Ledger wallet is one good option. Also, uh, Lattice. Uh, MetaMask has recently added support for the Lattice wallet, which is a, a hyper-secure hardware wallet. It sits right in your desk, beautiful user interface. Also another wallet called Keystone, which uh, provides a QR, air-gapped QR code-based hardware wallet. So what MetaMask is doing right now is really doubling down on its wallet support, which is a perfect compliment because you want to use MetaMask, but you want to use it in a safe and secure way. Uh, if you've used Ledger and MetaMask before, you know there's some like there's some bumps. It hasn't always worked perfectly in in some of the browsers like Chrome. Ledger and MetaMask are partnering to iron out those issues, uh, and they've just released a whole bunch of releases. So the action item here: if you don't have MetaMask, you want to portal into Web3. Go download MetaMask. There's a link in the show notes. If you haven't used MetaMask with a wallet before, then try it. It is the uh, the most secure, safe way to experience Web3. 
to date. You can get it at DeFi. You can, I use it all of the time. So check that out. There is a link in the show notes to MetaMask and you can find out more about it. All right, guys, last piece of housekeeping. Gitcoin round 12 has officially kicked off, uh, kicked off on December 1st. Uh, we all know Gitcoin rounds. Uh, they are the times where we can all donate towards these up and coming projects that need that support. Uh, but the cool thing about Gitcoin is that there is this massive matching pool. So when you come and donate to projects and upstarts and, and different things that need your support, client teams, different DeFi apps that are just getting uh, up and running, uh, the, the your donations are matched, but they are not matched linearly. They are matched quadratically. Uh, we've had Kevin Owaki on the show before to talk about quadratic matching. Basically, if you are donating to the same uh, uh, grants that many, many other individuals are also donating to, those individuals have outsized matching from this supply uh, a matching pool. There's also the brand new pool of crypto advocacy, all funding efforts to advocate for crypto on Capitol Hill. Uh, we just had a, a two-part panel yesterday on Bankless, came out on the podcast yesterday. It's also on the YouTube, uh, where we had some just big heavy hitters, Jake Stravinsky, Jerry Brito, Brian Quintens, uh, Kristen from the Blockchain Association, a number of other people uh, to, to really kick off this brand new advocacy round. So if you want to move the needle in Capitol Hill, go to gitcoin.co, check out the Gitcoin Rounds 12 matching round, check out the crypto advocacy track, and donate to some really cool projects on Gitcoin. Yeah, crypto advocacy is where it's at, man. Didn't, didn't you guys like? Didn't Gitcoin isn't in there like eight hundred thousand dollars? Over nine hundred thousand now. Yeah, nine hundred thousand. Ju- just going for on? the crypto advocacy round. There's that crypto just, advocacy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. that's crazy. Right. Crypto lobbying. This is something that we need to do. Crypto is political, whether we like it or not. So we have to get involved that way. David, let's talk about prices, though. Prices. Okay, it's market time. Right. Yeah, Bitcoin price. What's happening? Uh, Bitcoin uh, flat on the week, a, li- a little boring. bit up on the week. Started started the week at fifty four thousand dollars, hit a high of fifty nine thousand dollars. Currently at fifty seven thousand dollars, up about three to four percent on the week. Okay, flat week. Okay, how, how about ETH? How's ETH tracking? Uh, ETH uh, doing great. Uh, started the week at forty four hundred dollars, hit a low of four thousand dollars, right at the bottom of that uh, COVID Omicron scare, which we're going to talk about. Um, but then hit a high of four thousand seven hundred eighty dollars and is now clocking in at $4,500 right now and currently is up 8% on the week. Okay, Bitcoin flat, but ETH going up. Mm-hmm. That has some ripple effects. That yes. means all eyes continue to be on the ETH-Bitcoin ratio because that is doing things, things mm-hmm. we haven't seen in a while. Tell us about the ratio story here. Yeah, so the ratio hit a new high for the first time in over three years. Uh, and so hit that full chart view, Ryan. Uh, the ratio started the week at 0.075 and hit a high of 0.083. 0.083 and is currently coming in at 0.08. Overall up 8% on the week. Uh, and again, we have not seen these levels of the ETH BTC ratio since 2017 uh, or maybe maybe late 2018. Uh, and so February, it looks February like February of 2018. When the ETH BTC ratio hits new highs, to me, th- this is what I tweeted out. Uh, and I think my tweet is next, Ryan. Uh, The ETH-BTC ratio is the bull market signal. When ETH goes up versus Bitcoin, it's a signal of the bull market is ongoing. Um, Not necessarily prescriptive of future returns, right? Like we can't predict the future, but really when the ETH goes up versus BTC, it's a signal of the bull market. And making new highs, I'm saying that I think this is going to indicate a stronger continuation of the bull market into the future. 
uh, a lot of the, the ETH people, myself included, are talking about, man, if the ETH BTC ratio can just jump uh, from, from like 0 0.08 to 0 0.1, like the flipping becomes real, real close. There is very little price discovery in Bitcoin terms above these levels right now. Uh, breaking a three-year uh, all-time high is a really big deal, and there's not much more left before uh, Ether actually breaks the complete and full all-time high, which is just like in a flash of a pan claimed in 2017 at like 0 0.01 or 0.12, I think. Um, but so uh, it's a long time coming. There's two things that jump out at me uh, from this chart that we're looking at, which is the ETH-Bitcoin ratio. Um, you know, the first is uh, we haven't been at this point in the ratio for very many days either, Ever, right? Yeah. Because when mm -hmm. in, in 2017, it's kind of the, the ratio spiked above where it is right, right. now. Mm -hmm. That was relatively brief. It's a flash. Like we're talking yeah. days, right? And then also uh, in, in the end of 2017 and 2019, uh, 2018, when it did as well, that was days as well. I don't know how many days we've actually been above the ratio uh, we are right now, but Not it feels like- Not very many at all. 16 17 18 you know less less than a month in terms of days so the that's pretty remarkable the other th remarkable thing about this chart david is look at this look at this trough this trough of disillusionment between the end of 2018 and i guess the uh, the end of uh, 2020 where it was like bitcoin season mm -hmm. it was like bitcoin Bitcoiners were like down everything is down only versus bitcoin that's what they said and that was the narrative and i i think um the thing about narratives is a lot of people sort of get biased by the most recent narrative and and sort of project that extrapolate that forward and so because that was the most popular narrative everything was bleeding against bitcoin the idea was nothing aside from bitcoin would would ever appreciate or ever ever retain value so what's interesting is the 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 long I guess uh, crawl through th this trench, this trough of disillusionment, and then the, like the spike up, right? Like we are well above where we were, and it, this feels like I guess what I'm saying is it's a strong recovery right. on the Bitcoin ratio. So this is primed to do something and, and possibly continue increasing. Uh, I, I hate yeah. that you're making me look at this chart. Can you click on, click on my tweet so we, we can have like a real chart to look at? <laughs> there we go. So look at that. Look at that. So for for the listeners. If you grow and just zoom all the way out from 2016 to 2022, where we are now, it is a solid upwards trend. It went up real, real fast from 2016 to 2017 and 18, because that's when like Ether had this very early ICO mania that was completely unsustainable. And then that, that just flash just like, you know, leveled off for the next like two years. But after that, in 2020, like it started to, to climb again and overall has been painting this very up into this right trend versus Bitcoin, its entire lifespan. And this is why people were talking about the flipping before Ethereum actually had its first block mined. Some people like read the Ethereum white paper and they were like, oh yeah, this is gonna flip in Bitcoin. No one will say tell you when because no one actually knows. The ETH BTC trading pair is extremely hard to trade and predict, um, but but damn, does this chart just look good. Um, Ryan, I, I did some TA actually. I'm not really much of a TA person, but if you wanna go onto the tweet that I followed this up at, uh, you can just exit out of this picture and then scroll down. Uh, I did some TA. There it is. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a solid well, green arrow up to the right. This is fantastic. <laughs> this is the kind of quality TA that Bankless uh, subscribers sign up for here. That's exactly right. So I actually counted the number of weeks that um, uh, Ether has been higher in Bitcoin terms. Twelve yeah. weeks. 
Only 12 weeks weeks of price history out of Ethereum's like six years of existence. Has the ratio ever been higher? Has the ratio between Bitcoin and and Ether ever been higher? Okay, so it wasn't days, it was weeks. It was probably, you know, three three months or so. But how big would this be if, like, this never happened in history. Just like why we're talking about this so much is Bitcoin has never been flippant Mm -hmm. in the history of Bitcoin. It is the OG coin. And so if this does happen, you can expect not just, people like us, not just crypto media and pe- people on you know crypto Twitter and in these circles will be talking about it. The entire world the will be talking world, about yes. it. The, the okay? entire world knows Bitcoin as crypto. But they when something do. else be- takes the number one spot, that will, people will reconsider what it means to be crypto. Absolutely. So th- that will ripple out. And I think that's, uh, that's definitely something to watch. David, we are preparing some of our uh, predictions mm-hmm. for 2022 as well. I know on Bankless, we're going to publish this toward the end of the month. I'm wondering if one of your predictions is going to be a flippening in 2022. Are you going to call that? Oof. Uh, I think it's a greater <laughs> than 50% chance. Yeah. So do I. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do I. It's, so. it's really hard to have conviction about the ETH BTC ratio. Cause like I said, it re- like if you, p- people that trade the ETH BTC ratio generally just get absolutely worked. It's one of the hardest things to trade in crypto. Um, yeah. And, and predicting the flipping is also really, really hard. But man, are we real? We're just predicting when it's going to happen right. is the hard part, right? Yes. It's like, okay, well, if you if you predict it, I will say I'm not so sure and I won't predict it. And that way one of us is right. And that way Bankless is always right. <laughs> That's how we make Bankless it. That's why there's right. two of us. Yeah, <laughs> well, let's talk about the DPI. Uh, total locked, sorry, let's talk about DeFi Pulse and total locked value in DeFi. That's at 108 billion. So we're still above... 100 billion that's feeling pretty good that's feeling healthy too uh how about the DeFi pulse index here's a seven day view it didn't have the week that ether did no no it's it's uh down down a little bit versus the dollar started at 360 ended at 330. Mm. still not DeFi season i i'm curious about your predictions for for DPI, I will be abstaining from any DPI related. <laughs> well, just tell oh me about God, this. Look at that chart. The DPI to ETH index. Okay, so this is another ratio that we track on Bankless rollups. Tracking it. <laughs> DPI to ETH, man. We have to look. You can't be mad about this. I know you're an ETH bull. You can't be mad about this. Yeah, this is true. Why does this? Why does this ratio uh, bring you so much pain, David? And first, what is it? Yeah, this I'm is make you say it. <laughs> this is the ratio between the aggregate of DeFi tokens and Ether. Not all DeFi tokens, kind of the 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 OG DeFi tokens, Blue Ave, chips. Makers, uh, uh, Uniswap, Sushi Swap, um, and uh, just DeFi has just not been catching a bid versus Ether. Ether is ultra sound money, and DeFi tokens are not. And people are really just believing in that difference. I guess uh, we are clocking in at 0.074. I believe it was 0.08 last week. I guess we did our ultrasound money job too well, David. Yeah. That's why this is happening. But here's here's a sure way to win is mm-hmm. you bet on all three. A little bit of Bitcoin, a little bit of ETH, a little bit of DPI, a third, a third, a third. And that forms the bed index. So what are we looking at on bed on the uh, on the week here? Yeah, started last week at $177, ended this week at roughly $165. So a little bit down on the week. A little bit down on bed. That is a secure way to uh, to get exposure into the crypto monies and also DeFi. Each have their seasons, right? Sometimes it's Bitcoin season. Sometimes it's ETH season. Sometimes it's a DeFi season. And the bag- Bankless Bed Index allows you to get exposure to all three of those things. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about, uh, about Thanksgiving, though, right? So this is a chart from Blockworks. 
uh, actually, I think they, they um, uh, maybe crypto.com is, is the source of this. And they said, show this chart to your crypto skeptical family members. This is a chart of 1990s internet adoption, David. So it's internet versus crypto. And there's a green line and a blue line. The green line is internet users over time, tracking from like 1990 to the year 2000. And the blue line is total crypto users. These are both measured in millions. And what's interesting is the blue line is tracking the it's green line. right on top of it. It's right on top right of on it. Top. So yeah. what this is saying is like something that we've said a lot is crypto is the internet of money and it is tracking the adoption of the internet in the way the internet spread in the 1990s. Um, I think this is a useful way to help your family understand crypto, to be honest, because everyone lived through the 90s, right? At, you know, maybe not everyone, but like <laughs> lots of people remember the internet transformation and what that looked like. And so if you're looking for an analogy, you just say, look, crypto is the internet of money and it is getting adopted like the internet was. Remember how fast that happened? Remember how much transformation occurred as a result of that? Well, crypto is going to do that except for scarce things, property things, money in a different way. I think it's a useful analogy to help people uh, understand it. And it's interesting that the numbers are tracking. But when we were talking about this agenda, David, you were also a little bit disappointed at this graph, right? Right, yeah. Like I, I want crypto to be adopted faster than the internet because <laughs> crypto is on top of the internet and the internet's already been adopted. So when I see crypto being adopted at the same rate of the internet, I'm like, God, like why are we so slow? Like let's pick up the pace <laughs> What's here. Taking so, yeah. what, what is taking so long? What's, why do you think it's taking so long? I, so first of all, mm -hmm. this makes me hyper bullish. I don't like, I, you know, to get to this point in crypto is frankly amazing, right? It's yeah. like we lived through the internet to have a second revolution that was up on the same order of magnitude as the internet is just incredible. Like mm -hmm. this is beyond my wildest dreams and super excited about this, very bullish about this. But to your point, you know, crypto had the internet to propagate itself. So why is it not propagating faster? What do you think is holding crypto back when you it, look at this? Not not only did it have the internet, but also had the financial incentive to adopt it. Like crypto pays you to adopt it. So like, where is the juice? Like, where's the steroids? I thought, I kind of always thought the crypto would be the internet just on steroids. Granted, we are not like you know disrupting the internet we're disrupting legacy financial institutions and people seem to be a lot more skeptical about crypto than they were the internet uh, and maybe that's because the nature of crypto has the, the nature of money in inside of it people generally are skeptical with value um they're like oh buy bitcoin like oh you're just trying to take my money um but do you know what one take here though is sure. like i don't think the um look the internet, the institutions adopted the internet almost immediately, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the U.S. policy was pro-internet. You know, corporate policy was like, we have to get, go on the internet. We have to do dot-coms, all of these things. I think crypto has been, interestingly enough, more a bottom-up movement right. in some ways than the internet. Right. And what I mean is like established institutions haven't seen the value proposition, right? The banking industry adopted the internet, but the banking industry has been super slow to adopt crypto. Why? It's because they're being disrupted by crypto, right? Even like extrapolate that to governments and central banks. Maybe they're also worried that they're going to be adopted by crypto. So we haven't had the institutional support that a legacy institutional support that the internet has had. 
uh what's your take on that and what what else do you think is holding us back yeah yeah that makes sense uh the fact that it's a bottom-up system I, I think also lends itself to why it could have been adopted faster because like bottom-up systems are just like organic and nature is really really good at, at spreading um grant, granted this is in log this is a log scale and so like de deviations are actually really really compressed in this chart but like damn are those lines right on top of each other um at some point i don't, I don't really know we'll, we'll just have to wait for it to figure to figure yourself out the story is not over but uh, basically what i'm saying is like i'm bullish i just wanted to be hyper bullish and i can only <laughs> be bullish like i wish i was more bullish wow you uh yeah that that's um spoken like somebody who's gotten used to a lot of bullishness lately I think. <laughs> you're spoiled sir you are spoiled <laughs> Uh, let's talk about this. Uh, Omicron. What is this? This is a Omicron, story yeah. of, mm -hmm. uh, okay, <laughs> Omicron? Omicron, so, okay. yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is, a, this is a COVID variant. Maybe you should explain that. And, mm -hmm. and it did kind of tank the markets a right. little bit, like, you Which know, both stock dumb. markets and crypto. Okay, so let's talk about that. And then also we're seeing like meme tokens right. uh, number go up as a result, which I don't understand. What's right. uh, what's the story here? Yeah, so the Omicron variant was discovered in South America. It's apparently a new variant. Um, South Africa, right? Uh, yeah, South Africa. Uh, and uh, you know, apparently more transmissible, apparently more contagious. We don't really know. There's not a lot of data out there, but the markets just read the headlines new uh, COVID variant and just got super, super spooked. And I was just so dumbfounded by this market reaction because it happened in the legacy markets. It also happened in crypto. And I'm like, guys, we've, we've seen this story before. First off, like we're way more prepared. Like we already know what COVID is. We already have vaccines. We already have testing centers. We already ha like have global mask adoption by some people. Um, and so like, why are people more scared about another like COVID variant? Like the way that COVID is gonna get wor work is just we're gonna, uh, it's gonna just morph into the common cold and we're gonna get a bunch of booster shots over and over and over again. Like this is how this works. So like new variants are totally to be expected. For, and like, and then the market's dumped as if like it was gonna be pandemic 2.0 all over again. Forgetting about the last time the market's dumped, they, we just printed a bunch of money. Like the whole market reaction was totally nonsensical to me. And some so many people got really, really bearish. Like I just did not get it. Uh, so th I was the, not bearish. Sir. I, I was I not was, bearish in the slightest. I, you know, I, I tweeted out like, if you if you sold the Omicron variant news, slap yourself. We're going to 10k, uh, and, <laughs> and then people followed up. It's like, David, no, we, we're going to 20k. I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> And meanwhile, the, uh, this completely unrelated but also interesting part of the story is there's this random token that I had no idea existed called Omicron, and it pumps like 200% because of the Omicron variant. Is this a token that existed pre-Omicron yes. variant? It was yes. just like yes. through happenstance? Correct. It, it was there was it's just a coincidence of the names and the like and it just started pumping and I think like this is kind of just a small little like microcosm of just the, the world the state of the world at large. People just like to invest in memes. Like, oh, oh, the word Omicron is in the news. Let me go to, ta to CoinGecko, type in Omicron, and buy the first token that comes up. Like, fundamentals just don't matter for a, like a decent portion of the population anymore. And so, like, welcome, welcome to the meme economy. Like, the words that are in the news are going to be turned into tokens that are going to pump. Like, we saw this so, with Doge. Uh, like, this is it's, it's the meme economy. Welcome to the meme economy. So the, the, do you think this is going to happen with other news items and other sure, kind of yeah. memes that mm -hmm. propagate? They're all going to have tokens that yep. will like temporarily pump. Yeah, just but like because traders are going to be like, oh, the word Omicron's in the news a, a bunch. I'm going to go buy the Omicron token because other people are thinking of the word Omicron. What is Omicron? I, it like, doesn't, what it was doesn't it matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't originally. matter. 
Yeah. Well, um, good job. Sorry to the Omicron. Omicron. Team. Yeah. <laughs> Omicron. Omicron users, like I, you know, you just got your your payday there. That was a you know lucky event. Um, let's talk about this too. CRO token has been on an absolute tear. This is Crypto.com's Kronos chain token. Uh, it's just locked up one billion total locked value. Token has jumped three hundred fifty percent. Crypto.com has recently. I believe gotten naming rights for a major sports arena too. That might be part Staples of Center. Yeah, yeah, part of this. But uh, this chain seems to me very much like a kind of a it's a it's a proof of proof of stake Binance type yeah. chain ETH from killer. a crypto yeah. bank, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. Kind of ETH killer or side chain, whatever your perspective is on that. And it's very much uh, you know side chain season, I guess ETH killer yeah. season. So we're seeing a pump here. Anything else that? Uh, Proof of authority consensus mechanism, even okay, more so it's not even proof they of They must not be doing any sort of decentralization theater unlike the other ones. They're like, oh yeah, no, this is like a consortium blockchain. We own this thing. Um, I got to be honest. Like, so I understand CRO token as sort of a, a loyalty token right. if you're a crypto.com user, right? And that does have some value, but like the its value as it relates to this side chain, I don't really understand. It's uh, it's just to be in the club in my mind. Like, oh, people are building chains and issuing tokens. Like, oh, we have the crypto.com URL. Like we can do the same thing in the URL. The value of the URL can sustain the whole entire ecosystem. That's what's my, yeah. uh, in my mind what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in but- my mind, that entire business is the, just centered around the URL. Right, right. Well, I mean, they, 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 like, they are doing a lot in the space. Like, they have partnerships with Visa. Um, I've actually used a Crypto.com card. Like, it works. It's cool. But it's, it's kind of an example of sort of a, a, a crypto bank play on this. Right. And like, it's a, in my mind, it's co-opting crypto. Yeah, it's it's, it's, a it's definitely. Crypto. I, I I hear that too. Um, let's talk about ETH a little bit. So this is a tweet from Chris Clay. It says mm-hmm. so ETH has surpassed every global bank's market cap. And you're still not sure if this whole blockchain crypto thing is here to stay. This is a chart of ETH versus JP Morgan versus Bank of America versus ICBC and Wells Fargo and CM Bank and all the banks that you love to hate. Mm-hmm. Ethereum is on top with 550 billion. The next closest is JP Morgan with 480 billion. At this point, I feel like calling it too, right? Like, guys. Wake up to Ethereum. Crypto is bigger than all now, of the now banks. Now you feel like calling it, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, no, I, you know, I, I felt like this for a while, I suppose, right. David. But like, yeah, this is, now it's self-evident. Now it's like, mm-hmm. maybe maybe I'm at the point of a Zen where I don't even feel like I have to explain this anymore. Exasperation anymore. by people who don't get it, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm just like, okay, well, like, explain this chart then. Mm-hmm. How, about, how about, rather than me explain crypto, how about you explain why Ethereum market cap is larger than all the banks. Start from there, explain right. that. Right. And then we'll have a discussion about it. I feel like a bit more like that. So maybe it's maybe it's vindication that I'm feeling. I won't be satisfied until Ethereum market cap is bigger than all the banks combined. And then we can say that Ether is undervalued, just not misunderstood. Like, oh, people now understand Ethereum it's now now it's in the realm of some sort of fair evaluation it's still low but at least people understand it that's that's where i'm I'm at it's just a fad david (laughs) just a fad let's talk about this Mm -hmm. uh another cool fad i suppose is ether on exchanges hitting a three-year low so as the the ratio the ETH to bitcoin ratio hits a three-year high Mm -hmm. we're seeing a low 
on the amount of ETH on exchanges. And that's bullish. Why is that bullish, David? Because if any institution or any like newcomer wants to buy Ether, they got to do it on exchanges. And so the lower of ETH supply on exchanges, the more a dollar, a dollar has on the impact of ETH price when it is bought on exchanges. Um, and so this is just going into any sort of just new inflows have has outsized impact upon ETH price. Uh, bullish, bullish. I'm really bullish. Also, also bullish on going bankless as yes. well. It's like more of this, more, more, more of this ETH becomes non-custodial, the better for the bankless journey. Guys, we will be right back with the release of the week. We're going to talk about the hot news items and, of course, get to the takes and the memes. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. The era of proof of stake is upon us. Proof-of-stake systems like Ethereum, Terra, and Solana allow the industry to move away from the hot, loud, and wasteful proof-of-work systems and return back to a cottage industry of individual stakers and individual validators. And that is what we need to make this industry stay decentralized. Individuals must play their part in crypto network validation. And that is what Lido is here to do. Lido makes staking accessible to everyone at the click of a button. By delegating your stake to Lido's network of nodes, you can access the yield offered by proof-of-stake systems and claim your share of the network transaction rewards. Do you have 32 ETH and want to stake it to Ethereum, but running a node sounds intimidating? Or maybe you have less than 32 ETH and you need to pool your ETH with others so you can access staking yields. Lido offers a solution for both. Simply go to Lido.fi, choose which assets you want to stake, and deposit them to the Lido validating network. Lido is working to make sure proof of stake stays as decentralized as possible, and is committed to decentralizing its own validating network to eventually become a completely permissionless protocol. So if you want to stake your ETH, Terra, or Sol, and get liquidity on your stake, go to Lido.fi to get started. All right, guys, we are back with the releases of the week. The first is this, Starkware. David, we were just talking to Starkware last week about StarkNet, and now here it is. It's launched. What is in StarkNet? Give us the TLDR. Yeah, so think uh, Optimism, just like they they have their optimistic roll-up, and Arbitrum, they have their optimistic, uh, optimistic roll-up as well. Uh, StarkNet is a ZK roll-up, and we've seen ZK roll-ups before, but this one is different in that it is the public permissionless censorship-resistant version 
of what Starkware has to offer. So this is the one single rollup where everyone can permissionlessly come and deploy on StarkNet. Uh, ZK rollups, um, they are much more complicated than optimistic rollups, but also a lot faster and a lot cheaper because of the power of zero knowledge cryptography. StarkNet Alpha, the first implementation of that is live on mainnet. Uh, so this is the first of a number of rollout progressions in the StarkNet story. Uh, and so ZK EVM is now here on Ethereum, which is really, really awesome. Congratulations to the Starkware team. We had them on the show recently. If you missed that episode, you got to go watch it. Uh, it's another bullish episode. Absolutely. And th these are all, of course, gen this is a general purpose. They didn't quite call it a chain, but like we call it a chain yeah, for, for short. It's, and so it can run essentially something like the EVM. And so you can have multiple applications interacting. You preserve that composability. And the more apps that join StarkNet, the cheaper the transactions get. So, so cool. how about that for a it's virtuous so cool. cycle? Yeah, the more users and more applications that are on StarkNet, the cheaper the per user transaction gets. That is not something that you can ever find on an L1. That's one of the beauties of L2 is that costs are amortized across all the users. So the more, more users that use it, the cheaper the transactions get, rather than like the L1s of, of crypto, where the more people that use it, the more expensive the transactions get. This is what we, why we call it inverting the tri blockchain trilemma. Another piece of uh, content that you need to watch if you haven't watched it is uh, super scaling uh, with the ultra, ultra scalable Ethereum. Is that what we called it? Yeah. The ultra scalable Ethereum, absolutely, yeah. yeah. This is uh, super scaling with Starkware was the, the, mm -hmm. uh, the other episode you're thinking of with the Starkware folks. And you know what's so funny is when we were talking about, hey, when are ZK rollups coming? When is this feature functionality? The the co-founders of Starkware were like, uh, guys, it's right. here. Yeah, we, like, we we're it. delivering it. Like, next week it's happening. Mm -hmm. And then over the next six months, this is going to get smoother and smoother and smoother until maybe you don't even know you're on a roll-up at all. So uh, super exciting there. Um, also, this Argent mm -hmm. is maybe launching on StarkNet before the end of the year, I believe. Yep. This is I what that, I saw heard. that hint as well. Somebody was saying, all I want for Christmas is Argent on Starkware. And Argent responded in a tweet, your wish shall be granted. So uh, sometime before Christmas, guys. Santa's coming. All right. Uh, let's talk about this too. Tornado Cash moving to Arbitrum. What does this mean? Yeah, Tornado Cash, which is an ETH mixer in case you are docs and want to undock yourself for whatever reasons, uh, you can now do it in a much cheaper fashion on Arbitrum. Tornado Cash is generally a gas intensive application on the Ethereum L1, but now it's on Arbitrum. Uh, so you can get your privacy on Arbitrum. Privacy solutions coming to Ethereum. Another one to watch is Aztec, the Aztec mm -hmm. protocol, of course. Yep. That is whole uh, ZK rollup that is dedicated to privacy. But I'm really glad to see some of these privacy solutions continuing to be pursued by by the Ethereum network. Um, Bankor 3 has just released the third version of Bankor. These are one of the original automated market makers. They had a big ICO in 2017, and they've continued to plug away at this protocol. What's new in the release, David? Uh, a bunch of new things. They have impermanent loss protection, which they already had, I think, in Bancor 2, but maybe that's updated and tweaked. Um, there is L2 support there. So there's uh, Bancor on layer twos. And they also have an Omni pool that allows for all trades on the network to occur in a single transaction, probably some gas efficiencies and some trading efficiencies there, as well as uh, a num number of other features as well. So check out the link in the show notes to get the full digest of Bancor 3. This is cool too. Gnosis making some moves here. So they have a token called GNO. There's also a sidechain called XDAI that um, I've used before and I'm sure you've yeah. used as well, That was David. my first sidechain I ever used. Yeah, back yeah, in like 2018 or something. 
Is it is so? It, I think it started as a proof of authority sidechain, yeah. maybe moved to sort of a proof of stake type of sidechain. Anyway, it's kind of been overshadowed, I feel like, recently by the polygons of the world and and some of the other sidechain type solutions. I'm not sure exactly why, but uh, there is a proposal from one of the the co-founders of of Norse, uh, Gnosis, Martin uh, Koppelman, who is actually proposing a merger between XDI and GNO. And what I think they are doing. David is they are putting together sort of a almost like an ETH2 testnet. Mm-hmm. So it's like a, a beacon chain uh, type of environment that is going to provide ETH2 like functionality with a bit more centralization. Okay, so it won't be nearly as decentralized as Ethereum mainnet, but it'll almost operate as kind of a I guess a staking sidechain like. Yeah. Uh, to Ethereum, and th- the idea is they're going to propel, I guess you know, the development track of Ethereum clients, and and sort of be have have a relationship that way. Anyway, this is this is a governance proposal, so this has not happened yet, but was interesting nonetheless and caught our attention this week. What else would you add? Yeah, there. I, I think we're really just going to have to wait and see really what the what happens with this and what the utility of this uh, sidechain actually would do. Um, I, I wouldn't, th- there is some things to be concerned about because since there is a brand new token that's securing this sidechain, uh, that kind of does like, uh, you know, sp- what Sazzle on uh, the Daily Gray put it nicely, uh, splits the communities, right? So you have the one token validating the sidechain and the Ether token validating Ethereum. And there's a difference there. Uh, and and that's is, by what you meant by like a split token, right? It's right. like, so... You- yeah, one is for one chain have... and it doesn't actually formally link it to Ethereum in any particular way. Yeah, there's some disalignment there's there disalignment, when you have something right. like this. And mm-hmm. But people said this about Polygon as mm-hmm. well in the early yeah. days, and they've managed to say it's kind of socially connected to Ethereum. Yeah, the difference there is that Polygon actually has economic, uh, uh, bit, uh, economic slashing for any malicious activity between the bridge, and that Polygon staking is actually occurring on the Ethereum L1, not on the Polygon sidechain. Uh, and I believe if, if this, uh, uh, if I'm understanding this correctly, is that the the diagnosis sidechain will, will not have staking on the Ethereum main chain. It'll be its own independent self-sovereign system. Uh, and then also Polygon is very, very committed to ZK rollups, which by definition are hooked right into Ethereum itself. So th- there is some differences there. Yeah, it's interesting though, because also, uh, you know, Martin and the team at Gnosis have been very socially plugged into Ethereum, yes, right? Very and it's like so. very socially connected. So we'll have to see where this project evolves, but I like the experimentation yep. of it. And mm-hmm. I think it's cool to kind of resurrect uh, XDI in a new way and, and see where that goes. Let's talk about some raises, David. Celsius, crypto banks are raising. They just got a Series B. $400 million is oversubscribed. So actually, I think maybe they were asking for 400 million. They got 750 million. Wow. Not sure how that works. Wow. But uh, it's a lot of money for crypto banks these days. Any takes? That is a lot of money. Yeah. Why is Celsius so highly valued? Like, I mean, I haven't used it, but it's just, isn't it just like DeFi products, but in CFI form? 3.5. Yeah. I mean, I, yes, I guess. Yes, sir. That's what it is. It's 3.25 billion. Uh, right. And look, it's a, it's kind of a crypto bank, right? Borrowing and lending right. your uh, your your tokens and your Bitcoin, your ETH, right. and there's a lot of value in that. I bet, I, I bet you they're going to buy a stadium. <laughs> they probably should, right? Yeah. Join the club. Join yeah. crypto. Yeah. How about this? Fireblocks. Man, I feel like they just raised. We had the founder of Fireblocks on, I don't know, it had to be less than six months ago. And they had just come off a raise. Now here's another raise. I don't remember what the previous raise was, but I feel like it was like a $2 billion valuation. Mm-hmm. It was multiple billions, maybe. Yeah, now so it's an $8 billion, billion valuation. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
okay? And they just raised $400 million. Uh, Fireblocks, of course, provides kind of institutional-friendly DeFi. They provide the custody layer and the APIs so institutions can hook into the crypto experience, and particularly in DeFi. So it's a really interesting company from that perspective. And uh, another crazy race. This is a Series E, David. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how many letters of the alphabet we get until you go public, but like we're already on E. So on July 27th, they raised $310 million for a $2 billion valuation. Now wow. they are raising $400 million for, uh, sorry, again, uh, $8 billion valuation. So they, yeah, yeah. they well, 4X. They 4X what's, their what's market cap in, in less than six months. <laughs> Crypto is absolutely tearing right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Does that make you worried? There's, you worried there's about a lot of money numbers? out there. Remember how much money we printed? It was in the trillions. God, money has become meaningless, I, yeah. I suppose. Mm-hmm. It's not crypto that's the bubble. It's 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 money that's meaningless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One Inch Network just closes $175 million in their Series B. They're moving insta- in, into institutional customers as well. That will really change. Like One Inch was kind of like a, I guess, a, kind of a niche DeFi um project in the beginning it looks like they're really scaling up for institutions really commercializing you know it's like the last experience i've had with with one inch i actually couldn't use it because i was based in the u.s right you had to like turn a vpn on or, or something like this before you could connect uh but this is a pretty massive valuation as well what do you make of this it's interesting when i see teams raising that also have a token like intuitively you, you kind of want to say well you only get to pick one like either you raise or you do a token but you oh yeah you that's don't, don't get to do both but right. actually that's just like a, kind of the gut reaction you can totally do both because nothing's stopping you um but you do have to ask like where's the value being captured because if there's a centralized private entity and then a public traded token where's the value gonna go um but this yeah, is are you, are you starting to worry about this Right? Um, it's kind of like it's kind of like uh, CRO and crypto.com, right? Yeah, they, it's they something have equity to holders in crypto, pay attention but... to. I'm not yet concerned about. I think it's just going to be a, an interesting subject matter with tokens, where like tokens don't actually have any re- regulatory commitments. Like you don't actually have any investor rights as a token owner. There's just the token on the blockchain, and that does whatever it does. And then there's a centralized company that can do whatever it does. Um, so like you know TBD on what the dynamics behind private equity and public tokens are like. But again, there's no actual limits as to why you can't do both. Just intuitively, it seems kind of weird. But again, it's just like, you know, we'll just got to experiment. It seems like the higher risk, maybe higher return, but definitely higher risk asset, particularly if there's a centralized company involved. So if it's a centralized company and it also has a token, right? Mm -hmm. Like, at least if you're buying equity in that company, you have some sort of legal right. Yes. If you just have a token, you just what have do a token. you actually own? You right. just have a token. So maybe that goes up higher, mm-hmm. you know, zooms in the in the bull run. But when things turn, that's got to be the riskier asset. Uh, we'll have to yep. see how that, all of that plays out, David. Um, this is a raise from a former Wall Street banker who just launched a $1.5 billion crypto venture fund. This reminds me of 2017 a little bit too, where everyone was launching a fund. This is someone from uh, a fund called Hivemind Capital Partners, a former Citigroup executive. So former banker Matt Zhang has launched this fund. Any takes here? Yeah, so I think there's two quick takes here. This is an example as to why crypto doesn't fix you know, wealth distribution. Uh, wealthy people can just take their wealth and buy crypto with it, and they are still wealthy, and now they're in crypto. But they, what it does fix is long-term incentives. And so getting 
uh, wealthy people into the world of crypto makes them abide by our rules and our values. While crypto is not a panacea for fixing wealth distribution and wealth inequality in the world, it does actually force people onto the same equal playing fields, which is something that we can't say about the TradFi world. If they adopt crypto, they adopt crypto values. Yep. Uh, we yeah, we say this often right. on Bankless. Oh, Speaking of crypto values, let's talk about jobs. Imagine having a job that aligned with your crypto values. If you're mm -hmm. listening to Bankless, which I know you are, then you <laughs> probably have crypto values like us. So uh, go check out the job board. If you want to make the full-time commitment, make the leap. Look look towards 2022. What are you going to be doing in 2022? You be sitting at a corporate job, or are you going to look and see what's available in crypto? There's lots you could do here. Here's a senior backend engineer from Smart DeFi, product manager, as well as an accountant from Smart DeFi. That's pretty diverse. Senior software engineer at Popcorn, community ecosystem lead at DYDX, crypto research analyst. You got to be an NFT specialist for this. Also a smart contract research analyst and a governance specialist at Bitwise, a head of growth at DexGuru, a technical lead at Draftly, a head of Ethereum research at Immutable, a head of tokens at Immutable as well, community manager Dexable, lead engineer Hatstop Finance, community manager Eagronum, CTO Eagronum, senior backend engineer Smart DeFi. Guys, those are a lot of jobs and we just scratched the surface, okay? There's a whole list here. Go to check out the Bankless job board, sign up for that, get these jobs posted to you in your email address so you're first to know and Get a job in crypto. Get a goddamn job. <laughs> anyway. All right. Let's talk news, David. News. Big news item of the week. We promise this. Uh, Jack Dorsey, CEO of Twitter, also CEO of Square. He's like a co-CEO. He just resigned from Twitter. Here's his letter. Very transparent. He posts on Twitter, as is fitting. Uh, and yeah, what do you make of this? Jack Dorsey, gone from Twitter. Feels like he is maybe committing full-time to Square, which now has a new name, David. Mm -hmm. yeah, What's the new name? Square has a new name called Block because it wants to lean in towards blockchain infrastructure. Uh, and uh, Square Crypto is now called Spiral. Uh, so Jack is really just like leaving Twitter, I think, to really double down on, I mean, in Jack for Jack, it's, it's Bitcoin. Uh, for, it's Square Crypto is called Square Crypto, but it's, and with Jack leading it, it's really about Bitcoin. Um, and there's been a bunch of speculation as to, well, why did Jack leave Twitter? Did he really want to actually do this? Or was he kindly asked to leave because he was uh, putting up frictions for uh, Twitter, putting up uh, web th adopting Web3 things? Uh, Jack is a famous Bitcoin maximalist. He really only cares about Bitcoin. He has publicly retweeted tweets calling Ethereum a scam uh, and really only believes in Bitcoin. And you know all these Web2 companies, Twitter especially, all kind of see Web3 on the horizon and see this wave of adoption happening. And so the speculation from the Ethereum people uh, who, who have the Ethereum bias, and so they are just biased towards thinking this, is that Jack Dorsey got pushed out because he wasn't adopting Web3. Do you, do you know the interesting thing though? I feel like saying, Jack, you can run, but you can't hide. <laughs> do you know why? Like, so you just named Square Block, mm -hmm. okay? Like, you didn't name it Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Square really can't, Square faces the same dilemma that, that Twitter does, which is if, if Jack does take Square in the Bitcoin maximalist direction, which he kind of has so far, ah, we'll, we'll have vaguely. to see what happens next. He's gonna miss out on all the cool DeFi stuff, right? right? right. I mean, we had Visa on, we had, Anchor we had uh, Anchorage on, we were talking about the DeFi mullet and FinTech and Visa, and it's all like, it's stable coins. Right. It's Where like, Square's a payments company and people don't pay with Bitcoin, they pay with stable coins that are on Ethereum. Like what? Like lightning, <laughs> 
just it's, it's not just gonna a small happen. fraction it's not gonna of of kind of the, the block story. So it, it it's gonna continue chasing him there, I think. But let's talk about the new person who's taken over for Jack, because that's important. Look, Twitter mm -hmm. is a, a very important um, a platform. So the new person I think was uh, Jack's number two. Um, uh, Parag Agarwal. Um, he is a champion at Twitter. So five things about him. This is a CoinDesk story. He was the leading force in Twitter's decentralization projects. I'm not sure how much progress they actually mm -hmm. made, but there was a project at Twitter called Blue Sky to kind of protocolize Twitter. Uh, so maybe he's an advocate there. He also led Twitter's migration to cloud services. He's very concerned about the ethics of tech, uh, which is sort of interesting because as a Web2 company, you have to, it's refreshing, but also like, I mean, I'm kind of at the, I very much feel like protocol should be as credibly neutral as possible and actually shouldn't be injecting political bias into their platform. And it's it's interesting that like Twitter has had a, I guess a recent run of what some would say, uh, kind of erosion of free speech. Mm. And just earlier this week, they actually uh, banned the ability for uh, individuals to pu to post public images without consent. So unless you're a, a public figure, if I just you know take a, a photo of of you, David, and I post it on Twitter, that's like a a, a bannable offense, a censorable type offense, Rough. which is somewhat interesting, right? So like, Ryan, you have has permission to, kind of to make post pictures decisions. of me on Twitter, by the way. Okay, can I get that in writing, sir? Because I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> Do you want to um, <laughs> Yeah, he also rose up quickly in Twitter's ranks. He doesn't use uh, Twitter very much, but I I think part of the 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 summary from from this new CEO is. I think he'll be very friendly Web3, yeah. right? So like that's, the that's NFT the initiatives, the Ethereum initiatives, that's like full steam ahead. And maybe it needed Jack to kind of set step aside to your point for, for this to really take off. So it's, you know, it's, I think it's bullish for NFTs and Web3 from that perspective. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we're just not reading in, into it just too much. Hopefully that's we will the case. see. Uh, Square becoming block though. Like, okay, Facebook becoming meta, Square becoming block. What's next, man? I, I don't know. I don't What's know. Alphabet gonna become? <laughs> uh constitution dow mm -hmm. it's gonna sh it's shut down we've reported on that we talked about that last week they raised 50 million dollars almost to buy the constitution a copy of the constitution now they shut down but something crazy it, yeah. happened mm -hmm. okay which is their people token which was a people which was a token associated with this project mm -hmm. has been mooning yeah do you know why no I have can no you tell me because I, I, I sold right before that happened sir yeah. <laughs> or i redeemed i was like so like going to thanksgiving i was like ah i want to get everything off my plate i don't want to have to worry about this thing and I, you know i had a little bit of funds in the, the constitution dow because that you know was, that was fun there's a really interesting thing and i was like ah, i just i'll withdraw this biggest mistake i've made this year this month <laughs> <laughs> The week of the week. Okay? It's only because the people token started mooning for God knows why. What what reason? Yeah, it's I mean, memes. Back to what you were saying with the Omicron. Memes. Yeah, right. Just because it can. I don't know. What do you think? Why I is have it no mooning? Clue. I have no clue. I have no clue. Yeah. What does this reinforce in you? For me, it reinforces that like I still know nothing in the short run in crypto. Yeah. As far as what's going to happen. Yeah. Crypto will always surprise you. Yep. Like I had no way to predict this. Neither did anyone else.
Uh, let's talk about EIP 4488. This is a new EIP. We talked about this a little bit briefly on the last rollup, but what is this, David? Yeah, this is a Proto Lambda, a very, very long time ETH developer, now also working on the Optimism team and also with the ultrasound money uh, emojis in his header. Uh, and he goes, I support EIP 4488. Let's make rollups cheaper. Let me explain what this is about. He goes, technical TLDR. EIP 4488 reduces the call data gas cost from 16 to 3 gas per byte with a cap on call data per block to mitigate security risks. End user TLDR is that rollups cost overhead decreases, thus lowering L2 fees. So basically, we, we talked about this last week. This is just a rebalancing of uh, of gas. And we haven't actually really talked about how gas is calculated, but there are arbitrary values associated to certain calculations that comes up with, a, with what a gas cost is. Um, and we can tinker with those numbers in order to, to balance the economic resources of the network. And EIP 4488 reduces the cost of call data, which is something that rollups all definitely use very, very heavily from 16 to three. And so really this is Ethereum executing on its rollup centric roadmap uh, from, the, from the get go by making, uh, by really just like uh, allowing us to take off the brakes on rollups. So rollup transactions just become meaningfully cheaper uh, and also therefore faster. Uh, and yeah, and so that's what EIP 4488 is all about. You know what I find so endlessly fascinating about this? This is this reminds me of just um, like like public policy uh, changes to incent a, a, specific, a certain behavior. Like the government does this all the time with its tax policy, right? So if you want more corn, right, you, you provide a subsidy for corn. If you want more dairy, you provide a dairy subsidy, right? And you encourage this behavior, you subsidize it economically. This is the Ethereum protocol encouraging migration to rollups, right. encouraging users and usage to get off of layer one and to move over to uh, rollups in a big way. Uh, so what, what, what's your take on this? Do you, you, like, do you support this? I mean, there are some trade-offs, David, which is one is um, it, it does kind of increase block size, mm -hmm. right? And um, so this could, if if, Without further solutions in the future, this could make nodes a bit more difficult to run for individual users, which obviously can't go unchecked or you have another problem. Are you pro EIP 448A or no? Um, I mean, the pros and cons are definitely like way more technical than I can get into, but Proto Lambda, I think as a proxy for me, as a delegate of my beliefs, uh, I, if he supports it, then I 100% support it. Um, and we've seen Ethereum uh, measure, have measured increases in block space plenty of times before. Um, and you block, the uh, quick trivia fact is that I think the Ethereum block space is over like three to four times higher than it was at Genesis because our clients got more efficient, our networking got more efficient, things just improved. Uh, and so Ethereum is actually like three to four times more scaled than it started at Genesis because we were able to measuredly and responsibly and sustainably increase block space. Uh, and so, sure, let's just do it again. There you go. That's David's take. Uh, Mahalo. This is um, about Uniswap and mm -hmm. Polygon. What's uh, what's happening here? Yeah, so last week, the Polygon uh, proposal to onboard Uniswap onto Polygon had overwhelming support. That uh, vote did, in fact, pass. So they are moving on to the second phase of the governance uh, process, uh, which is a temperature check poll. Uh, and then there's another phase after that. There's just a lot of hurdles, but we're on to the second one. So Polygon, uh, it, perhaps eventually getting Uniswap once it goes through it's all the It's going to happen, right? I mean, that had overwhelming support, so yeah. it's, it's definitely, definitely going to happen. happen. Yeah. Uh, 
Do you know yesterday, mm-hmm. the time people read this, would be the Beacon Chain birthday. Happy birthday that was to when Beacon Chain. Proof of Stake on Ethereum was born. And do you remember that call when we were on uh, as that was launching? Mm-hmm. That was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, was... my roommate chewed me out for waking him up because it was at like four in the morning. Well, he wasn't as excited as you were. <laughs> and now I live alone. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, roommate. Sorry. Uh, well, Vitalik put together a happy birthday Beacon Chain post with... A handy roadmap and this is really interesting this is the roadmap for ethereum in the future this is the most consolidated roadmap i think i've seen and it comes complete with timelines mm-hmm. and there are really five things going on that are going to happen with ethereum God, uh, one is the merge <laughs> i have to okay i'll just read them fast the merge the surge the verge the purge and then the splurge <laughs> okay and this is like mimetic as well because mm-hmm. you know it's crypto the merge we've talked about so often that that happens next year proof of stake uh, becomes the consensus layer, proof of work goes away. Uh, the surge is sharding. data sharding. sharding. Yep. The mm-hmm. verge is providing Merkle trees. Sta- Merkle trees, Merkle trees. So providing more stateless uh, ways to run a node, right? So it's easier for users to run a node. Again, each of these, by the way, are like efforts to continue decentralizing the network, right? The proof of stake and yep. um, also data availability and, and the verge too. Uh, the purge, this is eliminating historical data and technical debt. Uh, I'm a bit more fuzzy on this. And then the splurge seems like it's everything that's left over, just all the you know, cherries on top and the bits of pieces that are going to be important in the future of Ethereum. Uh, yeah, what, what do you make this roadmap? Uh, it's just really, really nice to see everything all in one spot. Vitalik, of all people, is one of the few people that actually has the ability to kind of have this bird's eye view upon everything. Uh, these progress bars that you're seeing are definitely just completely subjective from the brain of Vitalik, but Vitalik's just known to be good at stuff like this. Uh, and so it's just nice to see like what is all left to do. And it's kind of overwhelming how much there is left to do. Uh, and there's, and it, it is nice to see that all these pro- uh, progress is happening in so many different directions at once. But like Ethereum has always had this very, very ambitious roadmap. And you know, while we get to the merge soon and then data shards after that, those are kind of close. There's still so much left to do. There's there's statelessness, there's stateless clients, there's uh, meta transactions, there's uh, ZK snarking the whole entire blockchain. My God, that sounds hard and complicated. <laughs> uh, I'm glad I'm not the one having to do that, uh, but uh, I'll just talk about it along the way. But yeah, there's a lot left to do. and and. This is cool. The, the, when we had Justin Drake on, on our first episode with him, the Moon Math cryptography episode, he talked about how Ethereum is just like this cryptographer's playground. Uh, and so like cryptography finally has a place to actually get meaningfully implemented and put into practice. Uh, and that's why Ethereum has attracted so many cri- deep cryptographers because Ethereum needs cryptography. And the, that's also one of the big things that really separates Ethereum from every other ecosystem is all the cryptographers are here. And our industry is based on cryptography, I will remind you. It's called cryptocurrency for a reason. Uh, and uh, the, all like useful bits of cryptography are eventually becoming integrated into Ethereum in this roadmap. Do you know what, what, what hits me with this roadmap too is um, I, I feel like um, Ethereum's roadmap has never been more clear. Mm-hmm. So it's yes. it's always been incredibly ambitious, right. mm-hmm. but it's never been as solidified and clear as it has been in in 2020. Right. One, I feel I feel like we've gotten that clarity. So like I remember back in 2017, 2018, I was like pining for a roadmap Details, for the future. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. w- like what's going to happen and when and how is this all going to work? And it just like it wasn't available at the right. time. It's like oh yeah, we're going to have proof of stake in the future. Okay, okay, how? 
Like, yeah, what are the details? Yeah, what, what does that like mean? Like shard, sharding, cool sharding. Like, what? More details, please. This is incredible progress, and uh, that makes me bullish as well. Um, so, the Ethereum roadmap has never been more clear. Uh, Budweiser did it. Beer.eth. <laughs> In, the, in their Twitter handle. They've owned beer.eth for a while, but now oh, it's that's in their, right. I forgot about that. Now it's in their Twitter handle. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, wow. What does that mean? So can we send Budweiser some ETH? Can yeah. we send them some money? Totally. It, go. Can we send us some beer? Probably. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want Budweiser. <laughs> I don't want any beer from Budweiser, yeah, yeah, right. personally. That's, but That's the right answer. Well, that's cool, man. It's like a huge brand, though. Budweiser yep. is like the brand of beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the major ones, uh, I wonder if we'll, we'll see others following suits. Pretty cool. They're putting it in their handle. How many, how many followers? Uh, wow. You know, I expected that much. more. Yeah. What? Weird. Only 230,000. 230,000 followers? Yeah. Yeah. Don't you have something like that, David? Oh yeah. Are you close way, to that? Way more than that. Way more than that. My, my alt has more than that. It's what's this? Uh, yeah. a month for ENS. What's happening? Yeah. So this is just a summary of the activity on ENS. Brantley summons it up nicely. 90,000 new .eth registrations in November, all on the Ethereum L1, uh, 7.6 million in protocol revenue. So like when you buy an ETH domain from ENS, it goes to now the ENS DAO. Uh, so the ENS DAO got $7 million in ETH revenue this last month. Uh, and then 99% of OpenSea volume, uh, uh, ENS trading activity is on OpenSea. Uh, so that's pretty crazy. And now there are 200,000 unique individual owners with an ENS name. Is this the million. token effect, David? Probably. That's definitely the token here? effect. Definitely the token effect. It's funny. It's like, like I feel like uh, Brentley's gotten a lot more popular too, like post-token effect, right? <laughs> like I'm seeing, like, I, I just think a communities rally around tokens. People, it's just what happens. Tokens, it injects energy into whatever you're doing. Tokens are the place that communities can deposit energy and attention and alignment into. Without a token, there is no coherence. Tokens yeah. align communities. I mean, Brantley's always been cool. He's just got like post-token, man. Yeah, he's now, like, but now know, he's token Brantley. He's, he's hitting it. Token Brantley. <laughs> token Brantley.eth. Brantley, I hope you're listening. Uh, this is a PSA. Watch out for front ends. Mm-hmm. I think front ends can become centralization vectors. And this is a tweet from Bantag saying, anyone know when Unis- the Uniswap front end has started snitching on users? Ruh-roh. That's some harsh language. But uh, what the... What the app is saying is it's actually notifying you. This is the Uniswap front end app. It's saying the app securely connects your wallet address and shares it with TRM Labs Incorporated for risk and compliance reasons. Right. Okay, TRM Labs, it looks like they are some sort of um, apparatus that collects information for risk and compliance, which basically means for the government. Uh, I don't know if this is for the IRS, if this is for the SEC, who this is for, what compliance, what risk this is covering. But that is happening on the Uniswap front end. And I expect um, teams that are based in various jurisdictions, Uniswap, of course, is based in the US, to be like arm twisted into doing this sort of thing on their front ends. Of course, this doesn't affect the smart contracts, right. the underlying smart this contracts. This is not Uniswap. This is the Uniswap Labs, the centralized company, their website. Yeah, this is that's a huge distinction. Why don't you get into what that distinction means? Why, right. So we have the Uniswap smart contracts on Ethereum, which allow anyone to swap tokens uh, through their liquidity, through their their factory contracts. 
the front end of very of a very large number of websites allow make it easy for users to use those smart contracts because no one's actually going and writing the code themselves. We have these front ends that do it for us. Uniswap spun up the first one, but there's plenty of others. There's one on Zapper as a front end, Zerion as a front end. All the DEX aggregators can tap into Uniswap, so they count as a front end. There's infinite front ends for Uniswap, but the Uniswap Labs version of the front end collects your wallet address for compliance reasons. Uh, and like, you know, what's interesting, Ryan, is like there used to be there, there was a time where the Uniswap Labs front end also like banned a bunch of tokens and also banned a bunch of countries. And then the Bitcoin maxis were like, see, we told you Uniswap was centralized, not oh, yeah. understanding the difference between the front end and the contracts. And now this time, uh, maybe maybe this hasn't made it into Bitcoin or circles yet, or maybe they've just oh, given should up. Should I tag someone? To, oh, yeah. Should I tag on this? Ta tag Anthony Pompliano. Tag Anthony Pompliano. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, you know, usually this would get some sort of attention from Bitcoiners talking about, oh, like, oh, I knew Ethereum was centralized. Um, this one hasn't I th happened yet. I think they're yet. feeling a little defeated on the ratio, maybe. I it think, went out of their yeah, sales. I, I think I they know. have are fully relegated into, into gold bugs. But anyway, so that used to happen all the time for those that are new to crypto. Uh, no longer happening now because people, I think, are understanding the difference between a centralized website and an application on Ethereum. Yeah, that's important. And I think this is an important PSA. And I also think it's it's sort of a reminder that, you know, centralization aggregation, you know, centralized websites can become uh, vectors for this sort of thing, right? And they're going to. So we, we've, we've kind of decentralized the protocol. We've decentralized the money robots. And that's all good. That's all smart contract code. We have more work to do in crypto to make sure our front ends remain decentralized as well. And of course, anyone can spin up a front end. This is not stopping anyone, but you know, having the ability to have like decentralized storage, decentralized compute sort of layers is going to be incredibly important. And that's kind of where we're journeying because things tend to centralize unless you actively push against that force of gravity. Uh, let's talk about this, NFT land. AMC, Sony, they're launching NFT rewards for the Spider-Man movie launch. David, I'm seeing this in theaters, man. I'm a big Spider-Man fan. Yeah. I know, look, you You're are going to see my movie in, Peter in Parker. theaters? Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, I'm going to see you. But like, you don't watch the new ones, right? Oh, sure. I You're do. not a new yeah. Spider-Man? You do? Okay. No, totally. Well, I'm seeing this in theaters. Apparently, there's an NFT associated with this. Uh, it's on the Wax blockchain. It's kind <laughs> of a, an oh. NFT sidechain. Yep. But what's interesting to me is like, are all movies going to start having nft releases like why not of course they are what do you think i, I remember when we were talking with uh diogo and kai from our, our uh, uh visa anchorage podcast where they talked about how like the volatility of crypto actually is really really attractive for a lot of companies because the volatility of crypto makes a lot of their users open up their app and check it. oh yeah that's right? such a good point yeah and so like nfts nfts are just engagement magnets it and boosts engagement it boosts it? engagement like for for some reason and this is why everyone is like macy's day parade had nfts it boosts engagement uh, yeah it's so, like, like it's like we we're just talking about token token brantley what about token right. spider-man right it's token better, right <laughs> he's way better than the original spider-man yeah. he's token spider-man <laughs> token peter parker yeah, yeah. that's yes. what i want so like all all big movies are like trending towards just like oh and we will issue tokens during the box office weekends because yeah. that's what people want i guess there's token engagement yeah, that's interesting, and everyone's gonna follow suit. We'll have to see how that uh, that progresses. I'm gonna see the movie. I'm not gonna get this NFT because, like, ugh, how exhausting. Too many NFTs, man. Mm. Uh, this is Ross Ulbricht. This is an NFT to watch, though. Okay, mm -hmm. so uh, people probably are familiar with Ross's story. Well, maybe not actually. Well, Ross, give, Ross, him the, yeah. give him the short form, and then he's starting an NFT auction in two days from jail. 
Is yeah. that what's happening? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so his mom is his liaison between him and jail and his Twitter account. So this is actually his mom talking through, uh, on his behalf through his Twitter account. Ross Ulbricht is the famous dread uh, pirate Roberts from uh, the Silk Road days. Uh, so the Silk Road was started by this guy, Ross Ulbricht. Uh, he is in jail for basically life. Uh, on ridiculous trumped up charges in my mind and he should absolutely be freed right now uh, but he's not uh, and he's been paying he's kept in touch with the world of crypto his mom prints out the front page of reddit and like gives it to him so he can review it uh, and also feeds him other crypto news and he's launching an nft uh, and so ross ulbricht is ha- launching an nft auction so ross ulbricht says in his post with this nft i see a chance to make a difference where it really counts in the lives of kids who did not ask for any of this there is a lot that we can do with the proceeds of the auction but one idea i'm committed to is to help kids travel to visit their moms and dads in prison uh ross ulbricht again in prison for basically life uh very peaceful nice guy uh, mom has to come and visit him in prison all the time and so uh, the proceeds of this nft are going to help uh just help maintain connections between loved ones in prison are people hating on this though uh, Bitcoiners are, yeah, because Why? it's an because it's an NFT. So Ross Ulbricht uh, went to jail before Ethereum was really a thing, uh, yeah. and so he was always a Bitcoiner. Uh, and uh, a lot of Bitcoiners are very, very upset that Ross Ulbricht, their beloved, like you know, jailed martyr, is using non-Bitcoin tech to do stuff. And so they're Bitcoiners following up on this tweet saying, "God effing damn it, Ross!" Uh, and then another one saying, "How to ruin your base in one fellow swoop." For just touching NFTs, Bitcoiners have absolutely lost the lost the plot. That's uh, absolutely de- lost the plot. Definitely, purity tests have gotten mm-hmm. more and more extreme, right? Until you can't right. even like touch an NFT. This is this is Udi uh, being mm-hmm. satirical, though, right? He's kind of no. joking on this. No, no, no. He is. This, this is this is Udi being serious. No. Yes, one hundred percent. Are you serious? Yes, this is Udi being serious. Are you sure? Yes. I can never tell. Yes. No. Udi's. So being he 100% says. He serious. says effing disgusting. Effing cult disgusting. Right. Talking about the Bitcoiners reacting to to Ross Ulbricht. Yeah. Talking about the Bitcoiners? He's talking about the Bitcoiners. Yes. Like he's not anti-Ross. Udi is being serious. No, he is, he's telling the Bitcoiners they're a disgusting effing cult. Oh, okay. 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 I thought he was saying effing disgusting, like effing cult about the NFT itself, about Ross doing the NFT. Okay. No, he's, he's saying the Bitcoiners are being. Call him out, man. Love you, Udi. Most, most, of time, most of the time. Most of the time. Uh, let's talk about this, man. This is like a Reddit post. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to full screen this. This is some dude unlocking his house with an NFT. Mm-hmm. Yeah, an NFT that he has in his Ethereum wallet, connecting to the internet somehow, and then unlocking a door to his house. Uh, there's also another example of this for the same thing with a car. Uh, and here's a, a fun piece of Ethereum trivia. trivia. This is why our, our shows go on so long, because we have so many stories to tell. Um, there's this old, old organization called Slocket that I don't think is around anymore that wanted to do exactly this, where you could go and like open up a locker and the locker would have the thing that you would need in it and like drones could come and it would all be based on, on Ethereum and public-private private key cryptography. Very Ethereum 2016 sci-fi yes, stuff. Yes, when we didn't really know what Ethereum would do when we thought yeah, we could just like, do anything, right? Unlock bikes and unlock houses. Yeah, right, like, like you this. know, communal sharing, communal resources, stuff yep. like that. Slocket, the three guys behind Slocket, are they 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 wanted this to not be a centralized company so they wanted to start a DAO back in 2017 but then the idea kind of more from there I was like well why have this DAO just be about Slocket let's just have a DAO of DAOs 
and I think you can see where this go is going. <laughs> this was the genesis of the DAO. Slocket, the three guys behind the start, uh, Slocket started to write the codes for the DAO, which turned into the DAO, and then created the whole Ethereum classic mess. Uh, so yeah, that's a fun piece of Ethereum trivia. We are coming full circle to some of the utility and use cases that we were dreaming of in 2016, uh, now being uh, ha happening just through the maturation of uh, mobile wallets and also ENS and also NFTs. It's funny. You're not wrong. You're just early yep. mm -hmm. is really the phrase here. So many things uh, have happened in the history of technology where, you know, ideas are good. It's just not their time. And I think Slocket was one of them. And now here we are starting to unlock various locks with our NFTs. And it looks somewhat normal. I mean, this looks like a pretty good user experience. I'm not saying this is ready for mainstream, but it's a lot yeah. closer than it was in 2016. If you want to hear that full story, by the way, Griff Green, Layer Zero Podcast, I listened to that one, David. I was laughing out loud in some spots. That was just a lot of fun. Tells the story of the DAO, everything that went on with Slocket. Um, I guess this is the internet of things, huh? The internet right? of scarce yeah. things, maybe. Uh -huh. um, very cool. Let's talk about Immutable now. Immutable, Immutable. X. Making waves. Absolutely crushing it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the first thing we want to talk about is they're getting a fiat on-ramp. So MoonPay is a fiat on-ramp. They're getting a fiat on-ramp directly to immutable on and off ramp, which is something we need so dearly. Mm -hmm. So that's happening. And that means instant credit card purchases of your NFTs on top of immutable. Right. This is mainstream ready. Completely abstracting away like, oh, NFT, where can I, where can I swipe my credit card? Like that is, that, that's what this partnership creates. And the, the, the awesome thing is gas fees on Immutable X are so incredibly low that you just well, don't actually have to be zero, present. right? Uh, they're, they're not they zero, but they are okay. zero because they are so low because the Immutable team is just paying for them. Yes, yeah. right, exactly. Yeah, and, and so, so they're, they're zero from the perspective of a user. I yes, just like, I can buy my NFT with a credit card and it's all secured by Ethereum. Right, mm -hmm, This is mm -hmm. the difference. This is what we've been waiting for. Yep. Totally. We don't sacrifice uh, decentralization. Mm -hmm. These are some immutable stats too. Oh, well, first, let's talk about their business development. Yeah, so Immutable tweets out, we're getting 50 plus inbounds a day from the largest companies in the world wanting to use NFTs and we need help. NFTs are eating <laughs> the world, come accelerate it. Hiring 30 plus business developers and CSMs. I don't know what CSM is. DMs open or apply here. Uh, they are also on our jobs board as well. Yeah, they are. Some really cool jobs too. Head of Ethereum Research. Mm -hmm. Is that one of them? Yep. Man, mm -hmm. Awesome jobs. Blockbuster Month of tokens? too. God, head of yeah, tokens. Head of what, tokens. What a, great, what a great name. Lord of tokens. Yeah. What, what's the Game of Thrones name? Uh, Master of Coin. Master, Master of Coin. Yeah. yeah. Master of Coin. Master yeah. of tokens. <laughs> That's what I want. That's, okay. A third immutable tweet. Job? It says, October was a blockbuster month for community projects on Immutable X. US $30 million in uh, uh, US dollar trading fee volume, gas-free, 20 new NFT collections dropped, uh, and then a link to a blog post with some of the most innovative uh, NFTs projects that dropped last month. Overall, Immutable X is absolutely killing it. Congrats, guys. We're about to find out what happens when you make block space virtually free and you allow fiat on-ramps on top of that as well. So you mainstream the user experience. Earlier, we were talking about StarkNet and Starkware. Immutable X is built on StarkX, which is the the you know the pre-version of StarkNet. Again, that's a, a topic to go into the Starkware team, uh, the show that we talked about with them. Also, disclaimer, Ryan and I are uh, angel investors into one of the immutable seed rounds. So there's Absolutely. that. Bitcoin, Bitcoin news, the same news every week, <laughs> okay? <laughs> El Salvador is buying 100 more Bitcoins. Cool. As the market falls, buy the dip, man. All buy right. the dip. El Salvador present doing that. Uh, so is so is Michael Saylor. Yep. So 
That's what happened last week and the week before. It's happening this week again. El Salvador and Sailor buying the dip. I honestly, David, I think this is going to pay off for them. Probably. Like, I don't hate it. It's going to pay off for them. It's just kind of um, funny to me that these are the things we're reporting week after week. Uh, It feels like we got paralyzed in time around February of this year. Yeah. And like, not much has happened right. in Bitcoin land since. Hey, but like, again, according to the Bitcoin or value prop, that's the only thing that needs to happen. <laughs> okay. All right. right. It, is, it is kind of funny seeing El Salvador buying 100 more Bitcoins and Michael Saylor coming in and buying 7,005 more Bitcoins. There are some difference in numbers there. Um, yeah. Well, he's, you know, Michael Saylor has a company and, you know, is like, El Salvador. Michael Saylor can never sell his Bitcoin because, A, he has way too much of it. And if he does start to sell it, it's going to start to signal to the market that this massive Bitcoin whale, that I, I don't know how much Bitcoin Michael Saylor has. It I think it's over have like- to sell it though. Just if you believe in like the monetization of Bitcoin, right? Then you could just start using it. Just right. lend against it, borrow against it. It's just collateral in the balance sheet. You never have to sell. And the thing is like his trade, he's getting basically free money because mm-hmm. he's borrowing it from like bonds, mm-hmm. right? It's like, you know, this is sort of a, a, a nice little arbitrage as long as Bitcoin continues to appreciate in value. Right. Funny to me that he hasn't like looked at Ether or right. some other alternatives out there Mm-mm. at all. He's yeah. just laser, laser-eyed focused. So, so some quick stats is that Michael, uh, the MicroStrategy has bought $3.5 million worth of Bitcoin that's currently clocking in at $6.8 billion, so almost a 2x. See, they've got 121,000 Bitcoins, which is roughly a little bit over half of the total, one half of 1% of the total supply of Bitcoins. One day, maybe he turns that into WBTC because no one else will give him a loan on his Bitcoins. And so he has to really <laughs> to do it. It's possible. It's possible. He might just buy a crypto bank though and do it himself. <laughs> we'll see. China's crypto censorship reached is now reaching not just mining companies, of course, which have mass uh, moved. There was a mass exodus of mining companies, proof of work mining companies out of China, but now it's pouring into news outlets. So there's the banning of crypto media companies mm-hmm. in China as well as they continue the crackdown. What are your thoughts? Yeah, overall, China just slowly pushing out everything to do with crypto. Um, to their loss. Uh, I, I think it's pretty re- a reasonable claim to say that in the long term, 10, 15, 20 years, China will lose its power because of its um, uh, pushing out of crypto. Uh, I think this is going to be, this is a catastrophic error on China that's going to come back to bite them in the butt, uh, maybe in 15, 20, 20 years or so, something like that. I think that's how the game theory works mm-hmm. out. But if you're, th- this is why it's an acid test of how authoritarian your country is with respect to how it responds to crypto, right? And it's mm-hmm. like we're seeing this acid test play out in every in every uh, government worldwide. And I don't think the U.S. is immune. We'll see what the U.S. continues to do with crypto. But like China, which is a bit more authoritarian, uh, top down, um, they are going all out banning crypto, like get it out of here. Yep. And I think in the process, you're exactly right. They're being outplayed by crypto. This is a strategic mishap, but they have big aspirations for their centralized, you know, uh, money system, you know, crypto and quotes money system. So we'll see how that plays out as well. Um, let's talk about Powell. Mm. He's redefining what he means by transitory inflation. Shocker. Do you remember this meme over the summer? Yeah. It's like not inflation. It's just transitory, transitory. Yeah, right. inflation. 
all, all, the, all the crypto people were like, we know. <laughs> <laughs> there was that, there was the, the uh, I can't remember where I saw this, but it was something along the lines of like, uh, the Federal Reserve has finally admitted that inflation is finally here. And then there was meanwhile crypto Twitter a year ago. And there was that animation of the money printers going burr and like this yep. anime girl just like dancing. It's like we were making memes about inflation a year ago. And finally the Fed is like, yo guys, I think inflation might be here. <laughs> He says he's done with the term. This is a quote from Jerome Powell. I think it's probably a good time to retire that term, transitory, and try to explain more clearly what we mean. And then he goes on to try to explain that it's not going to be so transitory after all. Yeah. yeah. This, here is, today. this is a meme I put out, David. I just thought it was funny. It's kind of like an onion style meme. This is like breaking news. Powell clarifies transitory inflation from the perspective of our 13.8 billion a year old universe humanity itself is transitory yeah what is transitory this is relative <laughs> everything's relative <laughs> everything's relative of course uh transitory not so transitory after all um congress is still holding hearings on crypto this one with coinbase ftx paxos some other crypto banks as well what's uh what's happening here centralized crypto banks being summoned to congress for a centralized hearing from the centralized forms of government but you know what's not anything DeFi related because can't summon DeFi and that's the story there. Uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> the the government is looking at crypto more and more and more. So it's going to be interesting to see what is actually discussed at these hearings. All right, guys, we're going to be back with the hot takes of the week. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. The Aave protocol is a decentralized liquidity protocol on Ethereum which allows users to supply and borrow certain crypto assets. Aave version 2 has a ton of cool features that makes using the Aave protocol even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi money Legos, yield, and composability all in one application. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can supply to the protocol in order to gain yield, and all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have supplied collateral. Here you can see me borrowing 200 USDC against my portfolio of a number of different DeFi tokens in ETH. I'll choose a variable interest rate because it's a lower rate than the stable interest rate option, but I could choose the stable interest rate option if I wanted to lock in that interest rate in permanently. V2 also features the ability for users to swap collateral without having to withdraw their assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. With Aave, users can do this in one seamless transaction, saving you time and gas costs. Check out the power of Aave at Aave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto in 2017, and it's been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various different crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens. And it's one of the few exchanges that has liquid die markets. Gemini just launched their earn program where you can earn up to 7.4% interest on 26 various crypto assets. If you're tired of paying fees in DeFi or you don't want to worry about DeFi exploits, but you still want to earn interest on your crypto assets, Gemini Earn is the product for you. Another product I'm stoked to get my hands on is the Gemini Crypto Back Credit Card, which gives you 3% cash back on all of your purchases, but paid to you in your preferred crypto asset. When I get my Gemini credit card, I'm going to make sure that I get my cash back in ETH. So whenever I buy something, I get a little bit of ETH bonus back to me at the same time. 
You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 Bitcoin bonus. Check them out at gemini.com slash go bankless. All right, guys, we are back with the takes of the week. Let's start with this. Is this going to be the last time we talk about the Ethereum pre-mine, David? Damn, I hope so. No, no. Okay, it's it not going not be. to be. This nope. is a detailed pie chart of ETH Genesis allocations. Why don't you guide us through this? And then maybe we can refer people to this clip when they ask the next time. Yeah, so there's a bunch of different colors here. Uh, there's also 45.9 million Ether that's been mined since the pre-Genesis allocations. Everything else is the pre-Genesis allocations. And then the $46 million uh, Ether that's also mined has been mined since the, the, the pre-sale. So uh, starting from the biggest to the smallest, uh, a little over 60 million Ether was sold. 60.1 million was acquired. Ether was acquired by sending, in 2014, by sending BTC to a widely publicized Ether sale address. Again, no KYC, no registration, just sending in Bitcoin to an address. Uh, the next largest slice, not including the mining, is uh, allocation to early contributors. Uh, and those are people like the Ethereum co-founders. I believe there was eight of them. Uh, that is 8.4 million of those as well. Uh, and then 3.4 million Ether got sent towards the EF. Um, and that is the next largest slice. Today, the EF only holds 350,000. So the EF, EF has reduced their Ether holdings by uh, 10x. Like One-tenth uh, is what they currently own of their initial distributions. Uh, and then the largest single recipient, Vitalik Buterin himself, an accidental meme lord, received 696 1,900 ether uh, from the Genesis event. I don't know how much he holds, but he's definitely uh, distributed a bunch of his tokens as well. To me, Ryan, this seems very, very fair. And this was the intent of the Ethereum presale. Over 50%, well, well over 50%. It was something like 70, 75% of all ether at Genesis was sold freely and openly to the public without any sort of registration or KYC or private presale or whatever. Uh, and then we got the early contributors, like the eight-ish, maybe there's more of the Ethereum co-founders, uh, and then the EF. Uh, the, the amount that was given away to the public, and it was only raised, like they only raised like $14 million, was like 75% of the total supply. Um, yeah, and so, this, the allocation early contributors wasn't just uh, like co-founders, it was just a, a whole slew of other workers. There were hundreds of oh, really? different you know, developers and people involved. Uh, yeah, and what, so what's interesting to me is like some of the takeaways are, okay, like, 55% or so, something around that that um, range, went to um, the presale of like the total supply now, right? Oh, way way oh. more. Wait, 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 what are you talking about at the time of the sale or now? Not now. Oh, in now, now's, now. In yeah. now's supply mm -hmm. terms, right? If mm -hmm. you just like zoom out and look at the supply and then That's you had another yeah. like 40% or so, like 35, 40% or so mm -hmm. that were like fairly distributed mm -hmm. Uh, via proof of work mining. I got, you have I got to, some of those. That, that, those yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the reason you came into crypto, right, David? That's, yeah, exactly. And a lot of other coins that start with proof of stake do not have this proof of work distribution for like this period of time. There's a massive amount that was distributed this way. Um, what's interesting to, to me too is like, we talk about like the centralization of the Ethereum foundation, like, like some people do. I don't know if anyone does anymore. Look, man, they have like, 0.4% of supply, something mm -hmm. like this, mm -hmm. right? Like less than half a, a percent of the total supply. Vitalik himself, right? You know, after you dilute through all this proof of work, he's got far less than 1%. Mm -hmm. I don't know, it's like 0.4%, He never, had, he never had more than 1%, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, in what world does the founder of a thing, of anything, mm -hmm. have that kind of, like, I, so 
if Satoshi was smart, he was mining Bitcoin from inception, right? I'm sure he was. Okay, was, so yeah, like certainly, he pro he probably had a far higher percentage. I mean, it's impossible to know, but like if you look at Satoshi's addresses, that sort of thing, things that might be linked to him, then uh, then Vitalik does of Ethereum. It's like Michael Saylor owns more freaking Bitcoin than Vitalik owns of the Ether. supply of yeah. Ether. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I guess this is maybe the last time we, we talk about this. It just it seems to me like such a uh, the pre-mine thing seems like such a, a non-issue to me. Um, right. Looks and, like a pretty fair distribution. And for, for the newer listeners, the pre-mine, pre pre-sale thing is really just ticked off a lot of Bitcoiners who are able to contrast it with the whole fair launch of Bitcoin. But fair is just relative. It's really just a subjective argument as to what is fair or not. So you really have to do your own critical thinking and ask yourself what is fair. And then the other side of this is uh, the, the, the whole like VC chains and the way that they got bootstrapped. Uh, the, the really the hot ones, the ones that we were talking about last week are the Avalanche and Solana chains where far greater, like two thirds of the supply was uh, sold in private pre-sales. So financially well-capitalized VC firms. In that in my mind, when we talk about public permissionless blockchains with public open money as a public utility, that is extremely unfair. Uh, and so there, there is, uh, there is these differences, the, 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 first uh, impressions of these chains are really, really important. And I think that the way that Ethereum, the Ether distribution happened from day one, and then what happened with proof of work mining over the next six years is as fair as we could have ever have hoped for. It can probably only happen one time too. Yep. That's right. It's like, you know, once you do it uh, once, ever yeah. after ICOs were kind of diluted. Here's a take two, David. Uh, Optimism is Ethereum. Arbitrum is Ethereum. Starkware is Ethereum. ZK Sync is Ethereum. Immutable is Ethereum. Why? Because Ethereum is the chain of chains. When we were looking at uh, you know transactions last week, and the total transaction throughput of Ethereum uh, from from that website, I can't recall off the top of my head, but I'd like to you know talk about it maybe next week a little bit in rollups. Just shows you that the total transaction throughput of Ethereum is not just what happens on mainnet; it's what happens on mainnet plus Optimism, Arbitrum, Starkware, zk sync, Immutable. All of these things, if they're secured by Ethereum, are Ethereum. It's like California, Texas, Nevada, all of these things, they're different states, but they're all part of the United States, right? And so uh, when we talk about like the US being a union of states, Ethereum is like a union of chains. It's the Ethereum union, it's the EU. Ethereum, the chain of chains. I think that's important for people to start understanding that more of this activity is going to happen in layer twos and Ethereum will be, the mainnet at least, will be a settlement layer of um, all of these chains. But the entire collection of these chains will also be Ethereum, mm -hmm. the Ethereum union. Um, the website that Ryan was talking about is ethtps.info if you want to check that out. Uh, the other cool thing is that like you can actually deploy rollups on top of rollups. And then you can deploy rollups on top of those rollups. So like you can deploy rollups all the way down and like think of just like a gigantic fractal like root system or just like branches of a tree where these rollups spin off of rollups, spin off of rollups because of why not. Uh, and eventually like everything settles down, down to the very base protocol, the Ethereum protocol. So no wonder gas fees are so incredibly high. The, the weight of all L2s are pushing pressure on the gas fees on L1. That's why users gotta get off the L1 and go to L2s. Uh, shout out to everyone that played Borderlands 2, the, the lava's rising meme. Uh, that one's a, a big <laughs> one in that 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 uh, that uh, community. The lava is rising on layer one. You got to get off. You got to get off at some point.
Yep, main chain is lava. Main chain Say it is again. lava. Mm-hmm. It's Brantley again. Hey, Brantley. Hey, token token Brantley. <laughs> What's he saying? Uh, Brantley says, things I expect to see with DAOs. DAO splits. DAOs firing people. Hostile takeovers. Governance attacks. Cross-DAO coalitions. DAOs going bankrupt. Lawsuits against DAOs. DAOs reorging to cut people out. Quote, going centralized, like going private. DAOs merging with acquiring other DAOs. Basically the same exact behavior that we have seen throughout all of human just organizational efforts, but now we're just doing it in DAOs because again, DAOs are nothing new under the sun. They're just they're just humans organizing in a different vehicle in a different way, this time on Ethereum, this time with tokens. Uh, and so these same sort of behaviors that we've seen before are probably going to play out again. Uh, at least that's what Token Brantley is saying. Well, then it begs the question, are DAOs any different than corporations? than our, you know, corporate organizations. In, uh, in some ways, they are a complete paradigm shift, and in others, they are exactly the same. Yeah, I, I think that's the right take. I think that's a good take. And, um, you know, I, I do hope we can invent some things that are different from a governance perspective mm-hmm. as well as, as we go on. But oh, a lot yeah. of what we've seen is less, less DAO, I guess, and more digital organization. Brantley, um, uh, he follows up saying, we are currently living in the golden age, in an early naive golden age of DAOs when none of the above has really happened yet. But it will. The next decade is going to be fun. It's <laughs> a good take. Oh, and then somebody also responded saying, this has actually already happened with Steemit, which is a different, what was yeah. once a blockchain. Uh, and there was this tr- attempted hostile takeover by Justin Sun. And then the Steemit DAO was like, yoinked, yoinked his funds by forking themselves. The ability and the community to fork. There. Yeah. The ability to fork is a, definitely a new uh, governance you know, paradigm yeah, shift, I think. This is true. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about this. Squish Chaos, what's he saying? Squish Chaos, L2s or L1s is the entire crypto bet right now. You may think you're betting on ETH, but really you're betting on ZK Sync, Starkware, Arbitrum, and Optimism. Or alternatively, you may be thinking that you're betting on Avalanche or Solana, but really you're betting on the multi-chain L1. I thought this was really, really good take. Uh, I agree. There needs to be many, 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 many blockchains. And as I've said, I've said before where I kind of think the whole multi-chain world is going to start to mean multi-chain on Ethereum, multi-L2s. Uh, mm-hmm. And like these L2s will be bridged by things like Connects and Hop and, and all these other like cross-chain liquidity providers. Or you can bet on the multi, multi-layer one ecosystem where you have Solana and Avalanche and Ethereum and Bitcoin. And then maybe something like uh, Polkadot or Cosmos is like the, the connecting uh, layer. Uh, I think listeners know where I've placed my bets. I'm betting that it's easier to actually just implement layer twos on one single chain and that allow that one chain to optimize for decentralization. And the reason why is because in a multi-L1 world, you have multi-sig bridges, whereas in a, a, a layer two world that's all built on one single L1, you have the world of cryptographically secured rollups. And remember, this industry is about cryptography at the end of the day, not multi-sigs. Uh, remember to listen to our Rune uh, Christensen podcast where we went through the full game theory unpacking the differences between an L2 world and a uh, and a multi-sig sidechain world. Uh, one is just way better, way more efficient, way more liquid. Uh, and in that world, only one chain needs to focus on decentralization and that one chain can sell its decentralization to every single other layer two via rollups. And that is Ethereum. Yeah, this is... Um... I think it's a really interesting take, right? So, like the 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 other the other side of this take is like so. For, first of all, uh, I wonder if people realize that this is actually what they're betting on. Okay, like when they purchase right. ETH or when right. they purchase Avalanche, 
Um, the second thing I wonder about this is, do you think it's a good bet to bet on ZK Sync and Starkware and Arbitrum and you know Optimism? Because Squish is also right when he's saying that a bet on Ethereum and ETH, the asset, is you're, you're actually ETH is actually outsourcing its execution layer to all of these other chains. Mm-hmm. And so that means these roll-up chains will own the user experience, they'll own the fiat onboarding. It's like almost in a way giving up a lot of control that it had previously in its monolithic model. And is that a safe bet is the question because now Ethereum is more dependent on these other chains to carry it forward. Uh, what's your take on that? Um... It's kind of like whack-a-mole where like maybe one L2 doesn't work, but you can you you can have many, many L2s, right? Not all of them have to work uh, for Ethereum to be successful. Um, but if you're betting on Avalanche, and DC Investor follows this, this take up saying, uh, well, Squish says if you're betting on Avalanche, you're actually betting on a multi-chain world. And DC Investor says, well, if you're, if you're betting on Avalanche, no, you're actually just betting on Avalanche. There can be a multi-chain future where Avalanche doesn't succeed. And so, yeah, many, many L2s can come, Ryan, and then not work. But Ethereum, the L1, can still work because only some of the L2s need to work. Whereas if you're betting on L1s, you are making a very specific bet upon a specific L1. When you bet on Ethereum, you're not betting on a specific L2. You're in betting on the concept of L2s at large. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of. I've been obsessed recently, David, about this. Um, this analogy between like the United States and like mm-hmm. Ethereum, mm-hmm. right? It's like with the the idea of like a union of states. Basically, think of every single rollup as a different state, right? right? Mm-hmm. And like when I say state, I'm talking about like a, a state in the United States, right? Mm-hmm. So it has its own set of laws. Right. It has kind of its own heavily economy. skewed towards state rights, by the way. Exactly, and it has uh, its own uh, jurisdiction, and you know where do people move? Well, they just move to a state where good laws, decent taxes, reasonable taxes, good services, and lots of jobs, right? So, so um, the population migrates from state to state, and the economic output of the United States is just an amalgamation, an aggregation of the economic output of all of its individual fifty states. Isn't that interesting? And like some states have done better than others, right? Uh, economically or from a variety of other factors, depending on how you measure the, the metrics. But you got 50 separate experiments. That's what's happening with uh, with Ethereum is basically like all of these rollups will have their own experiments, but the economic output of all of these rollups will actually end up partially in ETH the asset. Mm-hmm. ETH as the money and the, the store of value and the chief utility across all of these states too. Um, totally. Yeah. I'm obsessed with that analogy. Love anyway, it. love it. Won't be the end of it. Kyle Davies. This, Fundamentals Kyle, are a joke. Kyle Davies is, from Three Arrows Capital, which is the the entity that was kind of the subject of the, a lot of the ire of the Ethereum community last week. Yeah, he says Fundamentals are a joke. Fundamentals are a joke. And granted, we just talked about Omicron, this token that has nothing to do with COVID or anything, pumping and how about people. Huh? And and people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dogecoin, for that matter. So, like, yeah. granted, there are a lot of things that are pumping that don't have any fundamentals. But in my mind, you can't just say that fundamentals are a joke. That's equivalent, in my mind, of saying real life is a joke. Like, <laughs> fundamentals are based in real life. And so I followed up and says, and I said, nothing matters, said the nihilist. And then Kyle Davies responds to me, long live the memes. Uh, so he's res- agreeing, nothing matters. Yeah, and then I go, without fundamentals, memes are just fads. Memes with fundamentals, however, can last forever. I'm acknowledging the power of memes, but what's even more powerful is memes that are backed by fundamentals. 
totally agree with those takes. Uh, yeah, totally agree. I also there's, think there's a reason why we do a podcast together, Ryan. I know, man. Look, it also I, I I think it also depends on your time horizon, right? So it's like that's another way to say the same thing. Fundamentals are a joke in the short run, but they matter a lot in the long run. Try to survive a bear uh, cycle on just memes alone just and memes, narratives right? alone, yeah. right? Like. Uh, no, you go back down to the base, you boil it all down to the fundamentals, and then you rebuild every How do you bear have cycle. Conviction that's what happens. without fundamentals. I don't think a trader needs to have conviction. No, that's that's the thing. It's just true. back to the Ryan Selkis tweet. It's like everyone's arguing and they're just arguing about timelines uh, and time horizons rather than actual substantive, you know, issues. Mm -hmm. uh, David, this is your take. I'm going to read it out. ETH is the best way to get exposure to the metaverse. Nothing else comes close. Yeah, so the metaverse, if you guys remember listening to our metaverse defined podcast, which you should definitely go back and listen to, uh, the metaverse isn't one thing. The metaverse is not going to be having exposure by Facebook stock or, uh, you know, Decentraland or Sandbox token. The meta metaverse is going to be a collection of very many, many, many different micro metaverses. The overall aggregate metaverse is going to be a collection of many, many different things. The only way that I see possible to actually have direct exposure to the growth of the metaverse is with ether because ether is metaverse money i think in hindsight in like 2030 people will look at ethereum and be and while we see it as a parallel financial system people in 2030 will see ETH ethereum as the metaverse the thing that supports the single shared registry of all known objects in the metaverse and ether will be metaverse money because it will be the liquidity currency for all of these objects i think ether as the asset is going to track the growth of the metaverse far better than any other asset possible and that includes the mv sorry index co-op people that includes the mvi metaverse index fund because the problem with that is that you actually have to put in metaverse assets into the metaverse index but after they're established after some of them have grown and they're not going to be able to capture all of the growth of the metaverse by definition because it is reactive rather than being proactive where ether already exists today and we know that the metaverse will exist tomorrow therefore you can buy ether today on the back of the growth of the metaverse if you want to have exposure to the metaverse buy the money that people are going to use in the metaverse like it's that simple yeah i i think it's that simple as well and I, look man i'm gonna go back to my u.s analogy like one more time okay yeah. one more time in this podcast right so like if you want economic exposure to the to the united states in the 1900s it would have been a bad play to just buy the dollar and t and bills or something treasuries right but it would have been a good play to buy some of those things maybe but also the s p like mm -hmm. all of the you know, all of the companies that are bit and that's kind of what you're getting with e right. right you're getting exposure to the economic output of ethereum and all of its nation states and the entire metaverse right uh, and you're getting that an index level mm -hmm. like performance of that and ETH so, like, is an index of everything that's happening on top of ethereum ah, pretty much pretty much all right, Dave, it's that time. What are you excited about this week, man? Oh, man, uh, yesterday, last night, I recorded a Layer Zero with Justin Aversano. Justin is the photographer behind the Twin Flames project. And man, was that guy's story really, <laughs> really cool. Uh, I usually slide out 90 minutes for these episodes, but we almost went for two hours just because the story wasn't over by the time we, we hit the end. Uh, Justin has this insanely cool story where he's connecting uh, his... Uh, I don't want to spoil too much of it. Um, his mom died of uh, ovarian cancer uh, right after he uh, started getting into photography. Uh, the reason why, one of the reasons why his mom had ovarian cancer is because he lost his twin in the womb 
And he oh also made this twin project, which he took a uh, uh, hundred pictures of a hundred different twins all over the world and got into the world uh, of NFTs by selling this project. There's so much more to the story. It's a, a crazy story. And this story is one of the reasons why I started doing Layer Zeros in the first place to get some of these stories out. And the cool thing about uh, this is that, you know, Layer Zeros, I started with people like uh, Vitalik's dad, uh, Dimitri, and Eric Connor, who was been with Ethereum since day one, and Danny Ryan and Tim Bako, all the protocol people. But I also want to talk to the people that didn't care about Ethereum, but got pulled into Ethereum because something about Ethereum changed their life. Uh, and that's what happened on this week's, uh, next week's episode of Layer Zero. So do not miss that one. It was a great story. That's hype, man. That's great. I'm looking forward to that. It's like it's you're a cultural, a crypto cultural anthropologist is sort of what Layer you know, Zero is. I have a ton of fun like doing them. Surfacing these stories. Yeah. Yeah, layer zeros are my, just some of my favorites because, like, I just pull someone into Zoom and they just tell me a story for an hour and a half, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this it's is like great. no prep. You just have a conversation. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> it's nice. What are you excited about this week, Ryan? Um, I was just thankful for like two days of rest. Like, uh, I got off screens, had some, you know, fun in real life, just hanging out with my family over Thanksgiving, and just like sometimes we forget, like, real life is good. Do you know, like real we're digital matters. all the time, but real life matters. There's always this this counterforce in in crypto, and I don't know if you're the same way, David, but it's like it's always like, what did you miss? Like I missed a couple of days. What did I miss? Did I miss any alpha? Did I miss any opportunities? And the truth is, like if you're away for too long in crypto, you will miss out on some opportunities, right? Um, but then you have to like reevaluate what's important in your life, and I think it was important for me to remind myself. This crypto thing is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Like you don't have to be first on every single opportunity. You don't have to like get the alpha from day one, right? It's like don't don't play that game. Don't exhaust yourself that way. That's that's no way to live. Uh, and then like what's really important? And wealth is not the most important thing at the end of the day. I think Kevin Owaki said it's like optimize for freedom. We're optimizing for freedom here, not wealth, right? And it's like, if you're a slave to your screen, if you're a slave to crypto prices, blockfolio, uh, that's not freedom, right? Right? It, you know, so like reevaluate what wealth actually is and you make sure you're looking at it through the lens of, of freedom is sort of another thing I kind of took away from a couple days of rest. And the other thing is always important to remember is like comparison is the thief of joy, okay? We're like, just... There's always going to be someone who's doing better, right? You ever play a video game like, you know, um, Fortnite or something? It's like, mm -hmm. there's always someone who is right. just 10 times better than you. Uh, they always will be. Like, just enjoy the game, though. <laughs> you don't have to be as good as that. You don't have to be first in crypto. You don't have to get the every 100x upside that you see. So it's just a time to reflect and help me stay grounded and realize, like, maybe this is a message someone needs to hear today. Like, stop chasing all the time just enjoy the ride and have fun that's yeah. what this is about and i hope this year has been like that for you um when it's not just zoom out and reevaluate realize what's important because those are the things that that are important at least to me and it, and it helped me realize that yeah the, the story of the progression of crypto is going to last for our entire lifetimes so you have to sustain yourself so you can watch that story unfold because that's to me like this is just a, one of the best movies ever that's ever happened, which is the story of crypto. And the cool thing about this movie is that it's going to last 60, 70, 80 years, however long <laughs> I do, the whole time. Uh, and so, again, you, you got you to sustain yourself because, like you said, it's a marathon, not a sprint. 
there you go, guys. That's the message. All right, meme of the week. Meme of the it's week. Meme time, yep. David. This is a Thanksgiving meme too. Good timing on this. <laughs> yeah. Hilarious. So uh, this, I, I said this is a tweet. I said GM to you if this was you. And then in 2017, we have that crypto dude at Thanksgiving, and this is Charlie from Always Sunny in the Philadelphia doing the whole crazy eyes, uh, connecting all the different crazy things. Like, oh, the crypto is going to change the world. It's so it's so amazing. <laughs> like, but he looks absolutely insane doing it. And then in 2021, we have like this like royalty guy like looking over the banister of some like deck with dressed in some like royal looking stuff, uh, just very very superior looking. Uh, and the label is 2021. So if you were the crypto crazy guy in 2017, and then you also felt you're now royalty. very 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 proven in 2021, GM to you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's very much what it felt like in 2017 versus 2021. Uh, do you know where this image is from? The second one? I do not. All right, fun fact. I won't tell you, I know. It's from you, the Twilight you, you, movies, David. Oh, but I'm embarrassed I know that. I'm embarrassed <laughs> I know that. These are the vampires in the Twilight movies. Do, you, do your kids we watch cut Twilight, that out. Brian? Yeah, that's it. My kids watch Twilight, guys. Oh, that's not it. Uh, let's run it back. It, Moment of Zen. We'll never know. <laughs> Moment of Zen, guys. Oh, my God. Ryan's a Twilight fan. ETH is risky. Bitcoin is risky. You could definitely lose what you put in. I'm fading out on that. Uh, but we are going bankless Thanks for joining us on the journey. David, you got me all flustered. I screwed up the ending. <laughs> See you later, guys. This is your moment of zen. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. We recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. Click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me Anythings, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the Bankless Nation.